Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Good to see all of you here. As we look into the Word, we are in 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, verse 1. I encourage you to bring your Bibles with you on Wednesday night Bible study. We put the big Bible in the sky up there, but it's really good for you to hold it, get a good feel of where stuff is and what's happening, and you can check out, make sure I'm not making this stuff up. All right, now, we are, we've been reading the story of David. Now, David has just sinned major league. We're talking major league sin. Saul also sinned against God. And, uh, but his sin was really much less than David's. Saul got kicked out, but David didn't. And we talked about why that was, because when Saul was confronted with his sin, he gave excuses. But David, when he got confronted by his sin, he said, ah, you're right. And that's a huge difference. And uh, seriously, if there's... <laughs> There's a problem we have today in in the Christian faith in America is we are excuses up the yin yang. We got excuses for everything. I know I shouldn't, but I know I should, but I know I shouldn't lie, steal, cheat, commit adultery, but 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 they're singing butts in everybody's faces. When you come to this church, you're allowed one but. The one you're setting on. That's it. We should put up a sign. One butt per customer right out there. Stop with all the butts. Well, I know I shouldn't butt. You know, I shouldn't butt. But, 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 but. And, and quit using difficulty as an, as an excuse. You know, people literally today are using difficulty. Difficulty to them is synonymous with impossible. It's synonymous with impossible. It means, for those of you who don't know what synonymous means, it means the same as. It's synonymous with impossible. I know I should forgive someone, but, I'm, but it's hard, and I, 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 I act like it's impossible. Or I know I should do the right thing, but it's, it's really trouble. You know, I try, and it's, it's really difficult. La, la, and they literally are using it. It's become synonymous with it's impossible. I can't do it because it's hard. Hey, life is hard. Serving God is hard. Jesus said, if you follow me, it's going to be a burden. But the good news is my burden is light. You see, you can do this burden. You do it the other way, it is much more difficult. Got an email from a lady the other day. You know, she was uh, having a hard time with her marriage and, and, and didn't do the right thing because it was hard. I.e. impossible. So she goes out and she has an affair with some guy gets an incurable sexually transmitted disease. Now she'll have it for the rest of her life. And whoever bees with her after that is going to have it for the rest of their life. And, you know, and <laughs> so she emails, should I tell my husband? <laughs> Do you think? Do you think maybe you ought to share that little detail? Goodness gracious. And I I'm, I'm feel bad for the lady because I think, now that's a burden. You see what I'm saying? That's a weight. What Jesus asks us to do at times seems challenging, but it's nothing compared to what people do in their own lives. I mean, people's tolerance for pain and misery is amazing to me. They will resist God's way because they think it's too hard. But in, on their own strength, they just so mess up their lives. They just go, holy cow, how do you do this? 
And they just keep doing it. And their, their tolerance for pain is unbelievable. I'm the biggest wuss I know. I have no tolerance for pain. I'm the ultimate girly man. I hate pain. I can't imagine the complications that people put in their lives. The, goodness gracious. Better to do it the right way. Somebody say amen. Do the right way for crying out loud. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's impossible. Of course it's hard. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Okay? It's the happening way. It's the cool way. It's got all the flashing neon lights and everybody likes it. And everybody's boogieing and going, yeah, come on. It's a big party. It's a piece of cake. But he says it's the road to destruction. And many people go down that road. But the road to life sees the scenario. And it's much lighter traveled road. It's a little more difficult, but it leads to life. I mean, why take the easy way to destruction and death and frustration and disease and destroyed relationships and everything just going all the toilet? That to me is hard. I don't want to live like that. Holy stinking cow. Let's do the right thing, even though it might be hard. But hard does not mean impossible. Okay, anything in life worth doing, like picking up this bottle, anything in life worth doing, it, take, <laughs> it, takes, a, it takes a challenge, it takes effort, it takes energy. If you're going to be good at anything in any area of life, I don't care if it's school, it's going to take energy. It's going to be hard. You want to learn how to play the piano? I'll teach you. It's hard. I won't teach you, I'm lying. <laughs> I don't have the patience. Uh, you know, I just have people practice till you puke. That's how you know how you get there. You don't get good at anything. It's hard. Donald, to be good at what you do, you're good at what you do. It's hard. Is it not hard? These guys work their butts off out there. I look at them and go, man, I'm glad that ain't me. I'd be taking the ball running the other way. <laughs> There's a bunch of people chasing me. <laughs> I'd run into the stands crying. Anything worth doing is hard. Come on. Don't, don't just freak out when things get difficult. And don't be making excuses. Stop with the excuses. The reason David was blessed by God is when he got confronted with his sin, he didn't offer up excuses. He said, you're right, God, it's me. I did it. Whereas Saul, blah, blah, blah. Well, I did this and I really meant to do that. I know, you know, and I really tried, but it's a little difficult. God. Has a hard time with that. We just read about it in the life of Saul. Anyway, so so David now, he's confronted with a sin, he repents of his sin, but God said, Hey, there's gonna be consequences because of your sin. I forgive you, but there's consequences. And the and the prophet, man, he just woof, prophesies a lot of gloom and doom into David's life. He says, Because you've done this, what you've done sinning sexually against God secretly, someone's gonna sin against you secretly, they're gonna do it in broad daylight. Hmm, I wonder what they're talking about. Wait till we get to that. He says, the peace that was in your home now is going to turn into turmoil. And that's what we're about to read now. Now, David's life is like, you know, this is made for Hollywood stuff. I mean, here's this guy. He is the little guy against the gigantic giant Goliath, right? I mean, what a cool story is that. He takes him. He's a nobody. He's a nothing. Saul's trying to kill him. He eventually triumphs and he becomes king of the nation. You got the whole adultery thing. Hollywood loves adultery. Murder, deceit. 
And now we're going to go super Hollywood now. Because we're about to read a series of betrayal, lying, cheating, murder. I mean, if you like that kind of stuff, you came to the right place. Because this, we're about to see a mess in David's life. So anyway, he, and one of the punishments was the baby that uh, he had sired with Bathsheba, this illegitimate woman, dies. And we pick it up in chapter 12, verse 24. Now, then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. And he went to her, lay with her, and she gave birth to a son. So they had another one. And this one they call Solomon. This becomes the next king of Israel. Amazing, amazing story. We'll get to that. Anyway, the Lord loved uh, Solomon. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word throughout through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah, which means loved by the Lord. Uh, meanwhile, Joab, who is the general, he's the, he's the in-your-face general. It, it eventually gets him in big trouble, but, but Joab is like the serious general. So he, he's there, remember, fighting the city. And then David says, during this battle, set up that the, wife, the husband of, your, of, of Bathsheba, Uriah, set it up so that he gets killed and stuff like that. That's how he, that's how he kills him. Well, finally, Joab says he, he eventually wins the battle. Verse 27, Joab sent messengers to David and said, Hey, I fought against Robin and taken its water supply. Now muster the rest of the troops and besiege the city and capture it. Otherwise, I will take the city and it will be named after me. I mean, Joab was always kind of just getting after David and stuff. So David said, well, I don't want him to get the city named after him, make him the hero. So he was being honest. You don't show up, I'm taking the credit. <laughs> so, so David and the guys, they muster the whole army and then they go and then they attack it and captured it. And he took the crown from the head of their king. Its weight was a talent of gold, which is about 75 pounds of gold. Considering gold today is worth $1,000 an ounce, that's a chunk of change. 75 pounds of gold, a big old yo mama crown. And uh, it was set with precious stones and it was placed on David's head. And he took a great quantity of plunder from the city and brought out the people who were there and uh, basically turns them all into slaves. You know, it's just what they did. They'd come conquer people and kill the ones who resisted and the ones who didn't. They turned them into slaves. Chapter 13 now. In the course of time, now things start going bad. The words of the prophet of the sadness that is going to come into his family starts happening. And it starts right away sexually. You want to be careful what you allow into your heart, fathers. Okay? Because you can, you can allow a spirit of lust and sexual immorality into your home that will poison not only you, but your children. These things are not done all by yourself. I know you think you're just sitting there looking at porn all by yourself. It's just you. It's no big deal. It's a big deal. You're letting a spirit of lust and destruction uh, that is like a cancer in your bones and is highly contagious by the way, uh, to your children. And sure enough, it falls to his children. So in the course of time, Amnon, the son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Now, so this is half-brother, half-sister deal. And he falls in love with her. Now, I love the fact that the Bible says in love. It wasn't really in love. He just had the hots for her. Uh, which we will see here because he falls out of love with her pretty quick. Now, uh, Absalom and his sister Tamar, actually that whole side of the family from that thing, they're like the beautiful people, okay? They're like the gorgeous 
people in David's line. I don't know, whoever the mom here was, must have been a super babe, because all the kids are super babes. Even Absalom, he's like this, you know, you know, really dashing young man with the flowing hair. We're about to read about it later, you know, because he was like hunkadori, you know. He was like, you know, the, the front of those women's Harlequin novels, you know, that was Absalom. The wind blowing in his hair and all, you know, rip muscles and stuff like that. And his brother was good looking. We'll read about it later. And, and Tamar's like a babe, okay? So Amnon sees the stepsister. She's a babe, says he falls in love with her. Now, the reason, now this is a little creepy because it's his half-sister. But you know, this is 4,000 years ago. The rules were a little bit different. If it would have been his direct sister, you can't do it. That's incest. It's about as close as you can get to incense, incest, and it wasn't incense. <laughs> you burn incense. Uh, uh, it's about as close as you can get to incest without being incest. I mean, you know, people routinely, actually, up until 100, 150 years ago, people routinely married their cousins. Ugh. But uh, that's, that's what they did. And, uh, and kings, you know, and before that, even a half-sister was still okay, if you wanted to. So there was no sin there in that regard. It would have been okay if he wanted to marry her in whatever. But see, here's the thing. Real love can wait and treat a woman with respect. Somebody say amen. amen. Lust cannot. He didn't call it lust, he called it love. I'm in love, I'm in love. Yeah, you love her all right. So Amnon became frustrated to the point of illness on account of his sister Tamar. For she was a virgin and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Apparently he tried. Little pervert. Alright. So he's hitting on the chick. She's a super babe. And he's getting nowhere. And he's just sick. He's sick to the point of, he's frustrated to the point of being ill. He's so in love. You know, yeah. You're just a pervert. That's what you are. So anyway. So Amnon had a friend named Jonadab, son of Shemaiah, David's brother. They're all relatives here. And Jonadab was a very shrewd man. And he said to Amnon, hey man, check it out. Why why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? What's your problem, dude? You look, look, look horrible. You ugly. Tell me what's going on. He says, well, I'm in love with Tamar. My brother Absalom's sister. I'm in love. And then Jonathan, being a pervert like the other pervert, tries to set up a scheme. He says, I'll tell you what, go to bed and pretend to be sick. See? Then when your dad comes to see you, say, oh man, you know, I'm really sick. And you know, it would be great if my sister Tam- Tamar could come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I can watch her and, and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said, you know, I'd like my sister Tamar to come and and make some special bread in my sight so I can eat it from her hand. So David sent word to Tamar at the palace, said, hey, go go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. Apparently David had no idea what was going on. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. And she took some dough and kneaded it and made the bread in his sight and baked it. <laughs> she had to be there for a while. They didn't have microwaves back then. Uh, and then she took the pan and served him the bread. But he refused to eat it. Oh, no, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. Oh, send everybody out of here. Send everybody out of here so everybody leaves. Well, so he's setting it up so it's just him and her. Again, he's a little twit. 
So everyone left. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat it from your hand. You know, sometimes girls, you just got to be smarter than this. (laughs) Somebody say amen. Amen. Somebody dating you, say, well, well, come into my bedroom. I'd like to pray in there or something. (laughs) I'd like to worship God. I think we can watch videos of Pastor Mark in my bedroom. You know, come on. <laughs> Bible studies or something. I got something somewhere. Sheesh, come on. <sighs> so, uh, Tamar took the bread and she had, that she prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabs her and says, Come to bed with me, my sister. He sounded like a Russian. I don't know why, but suddenly he did. <laughs> At least to me in my head. Look, you're stuck in this thing. Anyway, come to bed with me. My sister, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I was con Dracula now. Blah, blah. Come to my bedroom. I love you. I love you. Remind <laughs> me when we were in Russia, Deb and I, and, uh, uh, they always called her Deborah. Deborah, come here, Deborah. It's good to see you, Deborah. It's like, you know, like they were all vampires everywhere. He goes, Deborah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 You know, Mark is always just smart. There's nothing cool about that. Hey, hey Mark. Mark, Mark, Mark. Deborah, come here, Deborah. All right, so the little perv's hitting on his sister now, and he grabs her. He says, come to bed, come to bed. And, and she says, don't, my brother. Don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. She knew right away what he was up to. Don't do this wicked thing. She pleads with him. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? This is a major deal. Sadly, today, it doesn't seem to be much of a major deal, whether you're a virgin or not. But in those days, even just a few hundred, year, 50 years ago, it was still a major deal. You know, our whole culture is slid into the toilet, but 4,000 years ago, it was a major deal. You only married a virgin. And she would have this disgrace, and nobody would ever want her after that. And he said, what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please, speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. She's pleading with him, and she's willing to be married with him. She Obviously, he's been hitting her on, on her all this time. You know, she was amiable to him. She liked him. Said, but don't do this. Talk to the king. He'll give me as your wife. We can build a life together. Blah, 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 blah. But see, lust can't wait. Girls, despite all the talk. Oh, I love you. I love you. Babe, come here. <laughs> but he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. The man was a pig. Because he was so in love, you see, he just so loved. He couldn't. Wow, well, sick. He was sick to love. He just so he had to have her. He had to be so unhappy. He was so miserable. I just gotta. I gotta have her. I love her. I love her. I love her. And so he rapes her, and immediately the next verse says this. Then he hated her with intense hatred. You girls, that's exactly what happens. As soon as they use you, they choose to kick you to the curb. They got from what they want from you. They don't respect you anymore. You got to be smarter than this. 
Bible says he hated her with an intense... In fact, he hated her more than he loved her. The, the, the intense emotion he felt towards her was superseded by his disgust for her now. Why well, she's used, he had what he wanted from her, and all of a sudden, things look differently all of a sudden. You get on the other side of that equation. Amnon says to her, get up and get out. The man is a pig, okay? I don't care what you say. I mean, he's just a pig. And she cries, no, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you've already done to me. Why are you? But he refused to listen to her. And he called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of here and bolt the door after her. What a slime bag. But he had to have her. Oh, he had to have her. Oh, said all, oh, forces himself on her. And now what's he got? So a servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing a richly ornamented robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head. She torn, she tore the ornamented robe she was wearing, and she put her hand on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? So he knew something was see, because he was acting up, being weird, she's crying, freaking out, he puts two and two together, to that slime bag, half-brother of mine, has he had sex with you? He said, be quiet now, my sister, he's your brother, don't take this thing to heart, (laughs) pretty encouraging, and Tamar lived with her brother Absalom, a desolate woman, nobody wanted her from then, when King David heard all this, he was furious, Absalom never said a word to Amnon, neither good or bad, and he hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. Even though David was furious, he didn't do anything about it. Already sexual sin infects his home. Who opened that door? He did. David did. By allowing lust and sexual sin in his own heart. Suddenly that spirit's alive in his children. Well, two years later, when Absalom's sheep shears were at Baal Hazor near the border of Ephraim, up in Door County. <laughs> I don't know why you people come here. Anyway, he invited all the king's sons to come there. So Absalom went to the king and said, Your servant has had shearers come. Will the king and his officials please join me? No, my son, the king replied, All of us should not go. We don't want to be a burden to you. Though Absalom urged him, he still refused to go, but gave him a blessing. It was all really a front absolute. Come on, Dad. We're getting, everybody's getting together. Come on, Dad. Come on. He knew he wasn't likely to come and didn't want him to come. So then Absalom says, well, look, if you're not going to come, then, then tell Abnon to come with us. And the king looks at him and says, why should he go with you? But Absalom kept urging, come on, if you're not going to go, have him come. Have him come. Because he wants to get revenge now. It's been two years. But this hatred has been seething inside of Absalom. So Absalom urged him and he sent Amnon with the rest of the king's sons. Well, Absalom ordered his men, said, listen, when Amnon is in high spirits from drinking wine and I say to you, strike Amnon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Haven't I given you this order? In other words, do what you're supposed to do. Be strong and brave. So they're all partying. Everybody's happy. You know, everybody's got their defenses down. And Amnon's having some wine. He's in high spirits. And Absalom turns around and says, kill him. And his men pulled out the knife and he killed him. So Absalom's men did what, to Amnon what Absalom had ordered. 
Then all the king's sons got up, mounted their mules, and fled. Yeah, they freaked. For all they know, this guy had lost his mind. He's going to kill them all. While they were on their way, a report came to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons. Not one of them was left. So an exaggeration comes to him. Everybody's dead. The king stood up, tore his clothes, and lay on the ground. And all his servants stood by with their clothes torn. But Jonadab, son of Shema, actually Jonadab ought to get his butt kicked. He's the one who got Amnon to do this stuff in the first place. He said, my Lord should not think that they killed all the princes. Only Amnon is dead. This has been Absalom's express intention ever since the day Amnon raped his sister Tamar. My Lord, the king should not be concerned about the report that all the king's sons are dead. Only Amnon is dead. Meanwhile, Absalom runs for his life. Now the man standing watch looked up and saw many people on the road west of him coming on the side of the hill. The watchman went and told the king, I see men in the direction of Hornaim on the side of the hill. And Jonadab said to the king, see, the king's sons are here. It's happened just as your servant has said, just like I told you. As he finished speaking, the king's sons came in. They were all crying their heads out or freaking out. All of a sudden, we're sitting there having a great time. Absalom kills Amnon, and they all cry. They were freaked. Well, Absalom now flees, runs, he hides, and he went to Talamai, son of Amahud, the king of Jesur. But King David mourned for his son every day. And after Absalom fled and went to Jesur, he stayed there three years, and the spirit of the king longed to go to Absalom for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. So uh, this horrible tragedy hits his family. Now, now, first of all, the rape. Now we got murder. Now the son that he loves is not there anymore. I mean, David is paying a big price for his sin as the prophet had spoken. Well, Joab, the in-your-face general, knew that the king's heart longed for Absalom, so Joab sent to Tekoa and had a wise woman brought there. And he basically, you can read this whole thing. I don't want to read this kind of blah, 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 blah. But the whole thing is he sets this woman in and says, go to the king and talk about, you know, how you've been wronged and, and all you want is, you know, even though your son is in trouble and he did something wrong, he's still your only son. And so the king feels bad for the lady and says, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And, and then she basically fesses up. Look, I don't really have a son like this. Uh, what I was trying to do is just point out that this is what you're doing with Absalom. You've separated himself from you, um, from him, from you, and you're sad and your heart is broken. Why not you be re- you reunited with um, him? Uh, so anyway, in verse 19 of chapter 14, we'll just jump to that. You can read that if you want. But uh, the king asked, isn't, this, isn't the hand of Joab with you and all this? Did Joab put you up to this? And she said, well, yeah. Yeah, he's like, Joab. You know, it's like, who's that guy in Seinfeld? He'd always go, what was his name? Newman, yeah, Newman, Newman. Ah, you know, so you know, it's like, Joab, Joab's into this again. The Joab is always pushing the limits with the king. He eventually gets his own, by the way. The king has him killed at the end. Actually, technically, the king has his son, who's now the new king, killing. But anyway, Joab finally gets killed. Because he, he keeps going over the line here. So anyway, the whole deal was um, that he finally said, you know, okay, I need to go and, and bring my son back to town. Okay, and be reconciled with him. Again, you can read it on your old time. That's, in a nutshell, this whole thing here. Now, in verse 25, now we read more about Absalom. 
In all Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. Again, he was part of the, the, the pretty family. Okay, Tamar the babe, his brother's real good looking. Absalom's like, you know, the harlequin romance guy with the hair, you know. And from the top of his head to the sole of feet, there was not one blemish in him. The guy was perfect. He was like, you know, kind of you know, like me. And uh, <laughs> in my dreams. And then, and then uh, whenever he cut the hair of his head, um, he used to cut his hair from time to time when it became too heavy for him because he had such thick hair. Oh my goodness, I can hardly hold my head up. I really need to cut my hair. So he'd cut it, and uh, it would weigh, it's weighed about 200 shekels, which is about five pounds. He'd cut his hair, just when he cut his hair, five pounds of it would fall off. I mean, this guy had, again, it's the Harlequin romance guy, who the big hair, and who, you know, ripped and stuff. It's like looking in the mirror. Anyway. So, uh, so he's like this super good-looking guy, and three sons and daughters were born to Absalom. And the daughter's name was Tamar. He basically names his daughter Tamar after respect for his sister, uh, and she became a beautiful woman. Apparently, they were, this is the babe line of the family. So Absalom lived two years in Jerusalem without seeing the king's face. So he comes back, but he hasn't seen the king. Uh, and then Absalom sends for Joab in order to send him to the king. So go, Joab, General Joab, come here. I want you to set this thing up. But Joab said, No, I'm not going to come. I don't want to come. And the second time, he refused to come, and he wouldn't come. And then he says to his servants, hey, look, Joab's field is next door here. He's, he has barley there. Go and set fire to it. Whoa. You know, leave a message. You know, what's the deal here? But so, so he sticked, because he didn't come right away. So Absalom's servant sets fire to the field. Then suddenly Joab shows up. And he goes to Absalom's house and says, why have you set my field on fire? He says, look, I sent word to you to come here so I could... You can send me back to the king. Uh, you know, uh, why have I come from gesture? You know, you didn't come. What's the deal? Uh, it would be better for me if I was still there. You had me come back here and I'm stuck here. I can't see the king. You're not showing up. He's miserable. He's impatient. I, don't, I should go see the king. Now then, I want to see the king's face. If I'm guilty of anything, let him kill me. I don't care. So Jab went to the king and told him this. And the king summoned Absalom. And he came in and he bowed down with his face to the ground. And the king kissed Absalom. And he loved him. And finally, reunited because it feels so good. So, so you know, so they're So anyway, but now, again, we're just going super Hollywood here, right? So Absalom, finally he's right with the king. I mean, Amnon the slime bag, rapes his sister, he kills the guy, finally comes back. Everything should be good now, right? No, we're not done. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of them. Fifty guys just jogging ahead. Here comes Absalom. You know, I, I need that. Anyway, so anyway, so he would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading into the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, oh, where are you from? And he answered, well, you know, I'm from one of the tribes of Israel. And then Absalom says, look, your, your claims are valid. What do you want? You want such and such? Oh, uh, well, clearly. Clearly what you want is a just justified because they would come there to get justice. Someone's ripping him off or something. And what he basically do, he's becoming a huge butt kisser. He is like politics 101 now. 
He's basically sucking up to everybody who comes into town looking for justice. Then he meets them and he talks with them and he's got the big chariot and all the men around him and, and you know, good looking Absalom with the hair and everything. He comes up and he starts, well, why, why, do you, why are you coming into town? Oh, really? You got ripped off? Oh, man, if I were in charge, I would, I would fight for you. I would, you vote for me. Vote for me because I will, I will take care of you. Liar. <laughs> Reminds me of the old joke. You know how you can tell when a politician's lying? His lips are moving. Yes, that's right. Okay, so anyway, they're not all bad, just most of them. Okay, so anyway, um, so anyway, this is, this is what he does, okay? So verse 5, also whenever anybody ever approached to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand to take hold of him and kiss him, you know. Not on the lips, obviously. Hey, baby. But, but uh, you know, you know, kiss him on the cheeks. These guys would come. So what is it? So he's this royal, good-looking, super cool guy. People would come and and they would bow before him. Oh, no, 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 get up, get up. And he'd hug him and, you know, and kiss him on the cheeks. So, I mean, well, I mean, if you're coming, you got to like this guy, right? He's saying all the right things. He could be hanging out in the palace and said he's out here. He's listening to what I got to say. I try to bow down to him. He says, no, no, don't worry about it. Come here, let me give you a hug. So he's just, he's just major butt kissing going on. And he goes also, in verse 6, says, Absalom behaved this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. So he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Why? Because he's trying to do a rebellion. He's trying to rebel and overthrow his father, King David. Ah, the plot thickens. Okay, so at the end of four years, of four years he does this, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord. He's lying, he had no vow. While your servant was living at Geshur and Aram, I made this vow. You know, if the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I'll worship the Lord in Hebron. I promised God I would do this and I need to go do this. So the king said, well, yeah, go do it. Then Absalom sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. And 200 men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor, to come uh, from his hometown. Uh, And so the conspiracy gained strength, and Absalom's uh, following kept on increasing. So now he's got David's counselor, Ahithophel, uh, comes over, and now he's got him in on his side, and all these guys from Israel, and he's just working this whole deal, okay? So this big rebellion is coming. He has the hearts of all the people. He'd been sucking up to him for four years. Everybody loves Absalom. He is the coolest looking dude in town. All right. He's hip. He's happening. He's young. He's got the energy. He's nice to everybody. So, of course, everybody wants to fight for Absalom. Anyway, a messenger comes and told David. He says, hey, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Basically, he warns them that the rebellion's coming. And then David said to all his officials with him, who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we got to get out of here. Or none of us will escape from Absalom. He knew right away what was up. Okay, we must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. He'll kill us all. And he knew he couldn't resist him. Because, you know, obviously, he didn't get all that information from this one guy showing up. There, there's a lot of intel that came along with this. And it was, just became clear. There's this huge rebellion. They're all with Absalom. Absalom's marching to the city. He's going to take the city. We cannot... Withstand these guys. We've got to get out of here. 
So the king set out with his entire household following him, but he left ten concubines to take care of the palace. A concubine basically was a wife without the rights of a wife. You know, the king had sex with them and had children with them and everything else, but they just technically weren't wives. They were sort of wives. Sort of wife, yes. It's going to be like sort of pregnant. Anyway, so the king set out with all the people following him and they halted at the place some distance away. And all his men marched past him along with all the Kurthrites and the Pelites and all the other ites. Anyway, so everybody goes marching by, all the ites. Uh, and the king uh, said to Atai the Gittite, uh, why should you come along with us? Go back and stay with King Absalom. You're a foreigner, an exile from your own homeland. You only showed up here yesterday. You, know, you, you don't have to go running for your life like the rest of us. Go back, take your countrymen, make kindness and faithfulness be with you. But Atai uh, replied to the king, as surely as the Lord lives and as my lord the king lives, wherever my lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there your servant will be. In other words, I'm sticking with you, dude. I don't care where you I just showed up. Yes, total loyalty to you. If it costs me my life, I'm with you. So high respect for David. So he says, okay, go ahead and march on. So they marched with all his men and all the families with him. The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. Now this is a sad moment. We're talking a serious civil war now. Uh, as break, big rebellion has broken out. The king that they loved and his son and people's hearts are torn. And, you know, uh, it was just an ugly, ugly, ugly situation. Again, a result of his sin. And, uh, and his household is being torn apart. And everybody's sad and they're crying. And Zadok was there too. And all the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And they set down the Ark of God. And Abathar offered sacrifices until all the people finished leaving the city. So everybody gets out of town. And then the king says to Adok, he said, listen, take the, take the Ark. Go back into town. Go back in the city. If I find favor in the, eyes, in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back. And let me see it as his dwelling place again. And go back. If God's favorable to me, I will come back. But he says, if I'm not pleased with you, then I'm ready. Let him do whatever he seems good to me. In other words, if, if God's going to kill me, I'm good with that. You know, whatever. So the king says to Zadok, the priest, aren't you a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your son Ahimaz and Jonathan, son of Abathar. You and Abathar take your sons with you. In other words, basically go back. He wants them to stay back so they can let him know what's going on. So he kind of leaves his own little spies, if you will, back in the city for when Absalom comes in. Okay, but verse 30, David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. And all the people with him covered their heads. So they're all crying and everybody sad. And now David had been told, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. This was your counselor. Now he's on it. So everything's going wrong. And David prayed, oh Lord, turn Ahithophel counsel into foolishness. And confuse them. So uh, David arrives at the summit where he used to worship God. And Hushiah the archite was there to meet him. And his robe was torn, dust on his head. David said, if you go with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king. I was your father's servant in the past. Now I will be your servant. And blah, 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 blah. So anyway, um, he's setting everything up as he leaves and going along. Chapter 16 now. Now David had gone a short distance beyond the summit. There was Ziba. He was the steward of Methibosheth. These are a lot of names here. Do you remember Methibosheth? He was the son of Jonathan, who was the son of Saul. Remember, he was, he was David's best friend. He loved Jonathan. And it's the only heir left. And he's the one when 
he was a baby. The nurse was running, trying to escape. Uh, judgment that was coming or the army was coming and something happened to the kid and he had, his, le- his feet were crippled his whole life since a child. And, and David had taken really good care of him. Uh, so he meets the steward of Mephibosheth waiting to meet him. And he had a string of donkeys saddled with a hundred loaves of bread and cakes of raisins and a hundred cakes of figs and a skin of wine. The king asked David, why have you brought these? And he basically said, listen, I came here to take care of you and to help you out and provide for you guys. And the king said, hey, where's your master's grandson? Uh, talking about, you know, Mephibosheth and uh, Saul's grandson. So Ziba says to him, well, he's staying in Jerusalem because he thinks, well, today the house of Israel will give me back my grandfather's kingdom. Now, we don't know that this is true, but Ziba now is basically trying to rip off Meshivatheth's inheritance. He says he's back there and he wants his, he's basically aligning with Absalom and he thinks he's going to get everything back. Well, the king says, well, that all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. I humbly bow, Ziba said. You know, again, as far as we know, the guy's lying. We don't know whether he was, it doesn't tell us uh, at this point. But uh, so anyway, Ziba makes a move and now he gets all the property of this guy. Well, now, <laughs> now we got this guy named Shimi. However you say it. Anyway, as I'll call it. And uh, so as King David is approaching the city, a man from the same clan as Saul's family comes out. And his name was Shimi, son of Gera. And he cursed as he came out. And he pelted David and all the king's officials with stones. All the troops and special guard were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shimi said, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son, Absalom. You've come to ruin because you're a man of blood. So I mean, this crazy man comes out, and he's cursing at him, and he's throwing rocks at him, and he's spitting on him, and he's cursing. You know, I mean, this guy's got cojones of nothing else. You gotta, you know, you're doing this to, to David and his men. These guys are a butt-kicking machine when it comes to fighting. And this guy's just coming. He's so mad at David. He's cursing at him. Keep this in mind because he pops up again later. So that's why they're showing all these things. And Abishai, the son of Zariah, says to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut his head off. <laughs> you know, not, gee, let me tell him to stop. Let me go over and cut his head off. <laughs> Yikes. But anyway, the king basically says, and you can read this uh, yourself, basically says to him, look, you know, maybe this is God. Maybe God's telling him to curse me. Uh, and he stayed humble. And he didn't do anything to him. And he went along, even though he was the king with all this power and stuff, and this guy's cursing at him and throwing stuff at him and dirt and everything else and rocks. He said, just, let's just keep walking. Let's keep, maybe God will have mercy on me. Uh, for not striking out against him. For all I know, God told him to do this. So David, at this point now, he's really getting back to his humble roots. You know, he's not arrogant. He uh, could have easily had the guy's head cut off. Okay, and we'll wrap up with this next tidbit, this little juicy thing. So anyway, meanwhile, Absalom, verse 15, Absalom and all the men of Israel came to Jerusalem. And of course, piece of cake, nobody's there, so they take over the whole city. And then Hushai the archite, David's friend, went to Absalom and said to him, Long live the king! Long live the king! And Absalom asked Hushai, Is this the love you show your friends? Why didn't you go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, the one chosen by the Lord, by these people and by all the 
men of Israel, his will I be. And he basically aligns himself uh, with, with this guy. And of course, um, he uh, is really there because David set him up to be there. Okay, so it's all part of the plan, the intrigue. This backstabbing continues, okay? So, oh no, I'm here. I love you. You're fabulous. I got all your records. You're great. I love you. Fabulous. Great guy. Watch you on Oprah all the time. You're great. I love you. So anyway, um, so Absalom says to uh, Ahithophel, this was the guy who was David's advisor, but turned his back on David and hooks up with Absalom. He said, well, give your advice. What should I do? You know, I'm here now. I'm Give me some advice. I need some advice. I'm the new king. I need advice. Advise me. Earn your pay. So he says, okay, I got some advice for you. Go have sex with all your father's concubines. Whom he left to take care of the palace. Then all Israel will hear that you've made yourself such a stench in your father's. You'll be so offensive to your father. That the hands of everyone with you, all of us, will be strengthened. Because now you're really making a statement. You have taken over to David is what you're saying now remember what the prophet had told David he said you sinned sexually in secret there's all kinds of grief going to come to you because of what you did and you are going to suffer sexual humiliation in public here we have that event so they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof and he lay with his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel now hopefully not detailed sight but you know everybody saw what was going on did it publicly openly bring in I don't know if it was one after the other I don't know how much stamina this boy had but eventually he has sex with (laughs) I'm just telling the way it is so he has sex with all ten of these concubines and the whole city's like whoa whoa that's that's whoa that's just kind of creepy they were your dads you know whoa there's a major statement. I'm in charge now, and I'm going to have sex with these women. I'm now in those days, the advice Ahithophel gave was like one who inquires of God. I mean, he was the great person to uh, ask advice, and that's how David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. So he was highly regarded when he was in David's thing. So now he has gone over. Uh, but David has this guy who just now got on the inside circle so he knows what's happening. Plus he left those priests around to let know who took back the ark. So he's got his guys. Now they're getting ready to find out what happens next. Okay? And now he's done this horribly offensive thing. And they are about to now go after David and kill him. But because David has these guys in play, we're going to see how they turn the situation around in David's favor. And you'll have to come back next week for the rest of the story. Cool. All right. Our ushers can come and the musicians can come back up. Yeah, this is like, this is like, is this like a novel? I mean, this is amazing. You you think you'd have to make this stuff up, but this is real. This actually happened. It was one intrigue and backstabbing after another and lying and cheating and spies and the whole thing and People go into war, and then we have a big confrontation uh, between David and his son Absalom. And Joab, he gets in the people's faces again, the king's face. My guy's going to get his. Uh, It's all fascinating stuff. Very, very interesting. Cool. So anyway.
Ooh, ooh, we're almost done. Then we talk about David's mighty men. Wait, wait till we read about these guys. These guys are cool. <laughs> these are some of the coolest people. Uh, and then we come to the end of David's life. We'll see what happens after that. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word and help us to learn from it, to get wisdom from it. We thank you, God, that those throughout history who have decided to serve you and honor you are the ones who ultimately prospered and succeeded. Those who disregarded your advice, offered excuses and reasonings, were the ones who did not prosper. Help us to be like those righteous men and women of old who chose, even in the face of great discomfort and hardship, they chose to do the right thing. Give us hearts of righteousness, hearts that desire to do what pleases you, though they may not always be very easy. Help us to be men and women of righteousness, that you can bless us and we can succeed with your favor. In Jesus' name we pray. Bless us, offering God. Amen.